Welcome back to Three Point Play. I'm Justin Nicosia alongside Patrick Calgar for this December 20th version of Three Point Play. It's been a while since our last episode. Once again, uh, a lot of stuff has happened in college basketball. But uh, first off, how are you, Calgar, before we uh, start talking about some of the I'm doing good. I'm just, we lied. We did say we weren't going to do the two weeks in between episodes, but got busy again. But we're back. Um, some great basketball games, especially this weekend and, uh, and yesterday. So um, should be a great episode. Yeah. And I think the biggest news that came out in college basketball uh, that didn't even just occur on the court over the past couple of weeks was that there was this whole thing with the two-time transfer rule where the NCAA said, we all know the rule, where after the first time, the first time you transfer is free, the second time you have to sit out pending a waiver. Um, and then a court ruled that there was going to be a two-week temporary restraining order on that, where during that at least two-week stretch it could have been extended uh players were able to be to able to play the ncaa said that if players played during that that they would then lose their eligibility if at the end of the two-week period their waiver was still not granted so they would only play like two or three games at most and their eligibility would still be um completely done they'd lose that year of eligibility which is weird because in college football you can play a few more games than just that and still play um, and still redshirt for the year. But putting that aside, the court eventually ended up ruling that the NCAA just can't do that. So now all players who've transferred multiple times are eligible for next semester. And I think that's good news for the players. I think a big part of the problem with what was going on was that, I mean, before this two week temporary restraining order was going on, we were a month and a half into the season and some players like still didn't, even have clarity yeah. on there and some got denied a lot of them got denied so that's going to change i mean so you you like the rule you're you're i think i'm a little 50 50 i can kind of see both sides of it i think some of the coaches were surprised because they were told some reports that this was not going to happen last year this is there was no shot so this is kind of a complete flip and it helps a lot of teams but hurt some other teams who you know didn't go after guys who were two-time transfers in, in the portal last year I and mean, you know they probably would have if they knew they were going to be able to play so um I like it, but again, I just college basketball needs to cut down all of sports and to cut down, I think, on, on transfers. It's just got out, out of control the last couple of years. So we'll see how this how this plays out. I'm in the middle. I lean towards like the side of the players because not that it like happens frequently, but coaches are allowed to make a move to any school whenever they want. So even though it doesn't happen often, like they're allowed to, players should be allowed to have very similar um, like rights as their coaches, I think, especially if they're still not technically like um contracted athletes. Aside from, I think the letter of intent is like one year contract, but aside from that, like you're not contractually contractually obligated to play for that school. Uh, but I do also see like the argument where a lot of coaches could have not gone after, say, um, Musa Cisse is one of, like like the top name that comes to mind for me of the Oklahoma State transfer who now will be eligible to play for Ole Miss, uh, who some teams may or may not have gone after because he probably would have had to sit out this year if this court injunction didn't happen. So I, I, I see both sides, and I also see that there is, like, the NCAA like, now fears that it's going to be free agency even more than it already is, which, yeah, I get because there are thousands of players that enter their transfer portal um, every single year. But at the same time, if you're not an athlete, you're allowed to transfer whenever you want. If you're a coach, you're allowed to change schools whenever you want. So I think and plus the NCAA always kind of their rulings are always kind of just weird. It kind of it's just based on case and a lot of their it didn't really make too much sense. So they take that out of their hands. I think it's good, at least. So yeah, I just I mean it, it just the portal is always going up from year to year. Um, so yeah, it's gonna affect it's gonna affect it. But again, college football has it. You know, there's a reason why college basketball shouldn't. Yeah. And it makes like it makes rebuilds for some teams easier because if you have like the your worldly team that you haven't had in half a decade and they're all seniors or all fifth year students all done with eligibility after this year. Next year, you're probably going to have to build from the ground up like historically you would. But now you can at least go in the yeah. transfer portal. And if you have a little bit of success this year, you could pick up some guys. And but it could also hurt mid-majors a bit. A bit it more. Could. I think the, the power five would help out, but it could, but also guys use it as stepping stools at times, just to, which I think is, you know, good for the athlete. Obviously you want them to play highest competition, but 
it does the transfers hurts the most the mid-major schools yeah but on the flip side you also have a lot of guys or bench guys who are high major talents that's why they're recruited to high major schools um but they just couldn't get, get it into the rotation and then they leave because they um want a bigger role and sometimes they'll go down to a major school as well so it's definitely more apparent with like a lot of the better players going to high majors but well, in that case though if if that's also what i mean though if a player is, it doesn't play a lot on say kentucky goes down to an a10 school their goal is to obviously be the best player there and then transfer back up and play it you know yeah that's also true which the two-time transfer allows for so for it, yeah so it's it's an interesting. interesting debate but we're a little bit short on time today so i think we could get into some of uh the games that happened on most notably saturday we'll start from saturday because they're were a ton of games. Uh, it was one of the biggest college basketball game or days of the year. And I think we should start off with the game. Yeah, between, the, the Titan matchup between Arizona and Purdue. Yeah, between Arizona and Purdue. It was a top three matchup. I think we all knew heading into it, whoever won was going to be ranked number one uh, in the AP poll. And Purdue ended up winning 92 to 84 on what's going to be listed as a neutral site game. But in reality, it's pretty much a Purdue home game. It was in the state of Indianapolis, only a couple of hours away. Um, Which I don't get doing for the teams. Um, who else did it? Creighton did that too. Why would you schedule a neutral site game? It's not even a true road game in the opposing team's state where it's going to be a road game, basically. Yeah, Creighton did that. Um, the game was a couple days before Saturday, but they lost to UNLV because of that. And it's going to be listed as a neutral site game, neutral which was given in the, the home game. Um I don't really know. I I think like some of these teams are trying to have deals where like it'll be one game in the opposing team state and then maybe they'll get a, a like a return game, but that's never guaranteed and with some of these they're also just done by a like a neutral third party like how you have all the feast week um yeah, like events that are conducted by a third party who will invite all the teams out and everything. I think it's very similar and I guess they'll reach out to a local team first and then a, a, another competitive team after that. And then it's, I mean, Arizona loses nothing from losing this game, but Trayden lost a lot from losing to UNLV. Yeah. And I think that like with Seton Hall, they played Missouri on a quote neutral court, uh, like two hours away from Missouri's campus in uh, Kansas city. And they're going to want a return game soon. Uh, they're going to try and get one next year, like maybe in Madison Square Garden. Or yeah, something. I saw that tweet too. Like, That'd be cool. Like, sick. When was the last time you know played in Madison Square Garden for like a neutral site game? I don't they know. Play I don't K- know. K- they play Kentucky, but that was like a – I don't think that was a home-and-home. Home. No, I don't think it was. I, I don't know off the top of my head. But like if these schools do something like that, then in the future maybe they could get like bigger returns out of that. So I don't really get it, but – Unless they can get that further down the line. But Purdue, 92. Arizona, 84. Purdue's and finally, like, still getting a lot of returns from their guards. Um, Zach Eady was the third leading scorer, and he had 22 points. Mm-hmm. Braden Smith, That's what I said. The story of the game was definitely the Purdue guards. We, we, we called them out earlier. and I mean, they were the best two players, Fletcher Lawyer and Brandon Smith. I mean, combined nine threes between two of them, uh, over 50 points. I mean, that was the story of the game. Yeah, it was. I mean, Zach Eady, as incredible as he's been, has finally taken a, a, a back seat for a game, and that, that was why Purdue was able to win. But it was a great effort from Arizona as well. Caleb Love um, had an insanely efficient game, 29 points on 9 of 19 from the field. Um, only turned the ball over once, which is great. Um, he's been keeping much better care of the ball. And um, finally, over the past couple of games, he's had a lot more efficient outings. So um, Arizona got good contributions from him. Uh Keshaw Johnson also had 24 points, and then a couple of other uh, Arizona Wildcats starters had uh, double-digit points. But you know, sorry, the game is Purdue. They're ranked number one in the country right now in the AP, I think uh, rightfully so. But both of these teams, they say this all the time. It's the most cliche thing in the world, but this could and should be uh, maybe a potential Final Four matchup. And both these teams right now, if the season ends today, would surely be one seeds. Yeah, both teams are elite. I can definitely see this as Final Four average college basketball. You can have a Northwestern happen. It just – Purdue is by far the best team, I think, this season. It's not even really close. I mean, they took care of Arizona without Zach Eady really being Zach Eady. Um, and that Northwestern loss – I mean, Northwestern, I think, what, they lost the Cleveland State 
Chicago State. Even Chicago when... State, the, the, a week later, who's one of the worst teams in college basketball. Um, as, as just consistently one of the worst teams over the past half decade. It's uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, that's just still a head scratcher. But Purdue, you take that one game away, um, has been completely dominant against all the opponents, and they played some of the best teams in the country. So, um, dude, I, I just they were they also looked this good last year, and you saw what happened. So it's just I can't get all the way on the bandwagon yet. I, I can't, I can't do it. But they look like the best team in, in the country. Yeah, I in December, in December, not March. Yes. I think that's important to know. In December. I don't think because they lost to a 16 last year means they're going to lose to a 16 again this year. I don't year. think they're going to lose to a 16 team, but they have – Matt Painter has troubles in in tournaments. Even the second round – I think he's – they went to the Elite Eight and they choked away that game. Yes. It's just – they – And then they, since then they've lost to three low double-digit seeds. It's – I mean, yeah, you have to be cautious of them. I don't think – I don't – you don't think it, but I didn't – you don't think it – you never think it, so – um, but again, if Purdue guards play like this, so they should be the happy favorites win the whole thing. Yeah, and they've been playing much better than they did last year, and that's what had them losing the game against Fairleigh Dickinson last year because FDU's guard play was just better, and Purdue's guard play is getting to an elite level now. If you look at the full season stats, now um, they have three guards in double digits: Bryn Smith fourteen point four, Fletcher Lawyer eleven point seven, Lance Jones ten point five. They're all shooting very efficient from the floor uh, as well. I think, we, I mean, we, we knew going into the season that this was going to be uh, the key piece for them, and they're doing much better than they were uh, last year. We'll see if it will keep up during Big Ten play, but it's also not like they haven't played anybody in the non-con either. I mean, they played, obviously, in Maui, which was the best Maui field we have ever seen, where they played Gonzaga, Tennessee, Marquette. They played against Xavier in the uh, Gavit games, and they played against Alabama last week. So they've had, a, they've had a tough schedule, like, so far. They've proven it, and... I think right now um, there are very few arguments against them being number one. We we can, in two months from now, three months from now, argue how far they may or may not make it in March. But right now they no. look like a team that, if they continue this play up, should be a Final Four favorite. Kansas might have something to say about that, though. They could. Um. Yeah, so that game, Kansas went into Indiana. It was a, a crazy environment, as always is, up there in Bloomington. And they came right out the win. I think the story of the game was Kevin McCuller. I mean, just had he hit the big shots. I mean, he didn't shoot the best from the floor, but I mean, he had 16 free throws, so he was aggressive, and he he made the biggest one of the game. Um, and then Indiana, man, I feel like they just have the season of what ifs. They've been close, um, but they're a little disappointed. I think. I think we're both high on them coming in. This was a great chance for them, and and they let us slip away. They let us slip away. Yeah, Indiana was both of our. Um... Big Ten preseason like sleeper teams. I and, think I liked Illinois a little bit too, but yeah, but Illinois was also ranked hard to yeah. call that like sleeper. But Indiana is now seven and three on the season, or actually eight. And... Sorry, they were seven and three after this game. Now they're eight and three, uh, because they just barely beat Morehead State. But they've had a lot of questionable wins, like against Florida Gulf Coast. They won by six, but FGCU's just awful this year. They're four and nine. Uh, but they were losing for big chunks of that game. FGCU made it like super close again, six point game. Uh, FGCU had the lead at the halfway mark of the of the first half. Then Army was also taking them down to the wire. Indiana ended up winning that by eight, but it was a tie game at the under four as well. Um, Wright State played them close. Then they got blown out by UConn. They beat Louisville by eight, but I mean anybody can beat Louisville by eight. Um, and they don't have. Great win. Like that was a close win. game, too. They pulled away late. Against yeah, Louisville. exactly. They did. Um, their best wins, Michigan, who just lost a double overtime thriller against Florida. Tough Sorry game, about man. that. Tough game. Um, but then they got blown out by Auburn, an Auburn team, which I don't necessarily think should be ranked, but they were very pissed that they weren't ranked this week. And guess whose sleeper that was in the SEC? Yours. Hey, dude, I'm, I'm cooking right now with my sleepers. Indiana's letting the ball down. I'm cooking with most of mine as well, though, um, aside from Indiana, and I forget which my SEC one was. But um, then they almost beat Kansas, and that would have been a huge win. Um, Trey Galloway was fantastic in that matchup, had, a, I believe, a career-high 28 points, and they just blew that game towards the end because they were winning, like, relatively big. They had an eight-point lead at the 12-minute mark. Um, but, like, even before that, they had um, 
a double digit league lead early in the second half and they kind of just let it slip away. Um, still like hanging in there, losing by four against Kansas. Um, you'll take that any day of the week, uh, especially when like Hunter Dixon Dickinson has a double double. Kevin McCuller, like you said, had 21 points. What you'll take, you take that. What do you mean you'll take that? If you're Indiana? If you're Indiana, yeah. You'll take a home loss to Kansas to a yeah, top five team in the country. I mean, you've got to take it, but I I think it, there's you no don't take it, you don't take it the that. way it went. You don't take it the way it went down where you were double digit um in the league. Uh, at like the 12 minute mark but if i told you before the game if you're an indiana fan i told you before the game you'll be competitive uh you'll have a lead for a little bit but kansas will ultimately win by four i think you take that uh, indiana's a pride a, a very proud organization that's won that multiple national championships i don't know yeah, i feel like losing anybody are, I feel like losing anybody, anybody is it's a disappointment but with where they are this season because they haven't really proven much this year okay i, I disagree if i'm if i'm Still Mike Woodson over there, right? Getting it fired? Indiana coach? Um, not yet, but he's yeah. probably getting a little bit closer to the hot seat. Depends on how they do in uh Big Ten play. Well, I don't uh, apparently not. You said this is this is a win for them, basically. I think the AD's like, oh, like this is a we we morally won this game. No, but I'm I'm saying if this that doesn't put him on the hot seat because he lost by four to Indiana. I'm not saying it puts him on the hot seat, but I'm just saying like it's another missed opportunity opportunity for Indiana that's been a a, a decade long. So I don't think this, they're happy at all. I don't think lost. this would be the deciding factor between keeping Mike Woodson and firing him. I'm not. Why do you keep saying that? I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. So then, why are you about... bringing the AD into it at all? Why are you bringing up the hot seat? In, in well, you said he's on the hot seat, right? So do you think that this helped him get off the hot seat a little bit since there was a close game against the number two Kansas? It didn't hurt him. I think it didn't really do anything. I think it may push him slightly towards that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I just think, I'm not I just saying think, it's like not... – I just think that Indiana is coming away from that game disappointed. And no, and, and you've seen it. They barely beat – they barely won their next game. They're, there's no more victory in that by losing by four to a top five team. What I, what I meant is it's an encouraging sign losing by four to a top five team, a team that you just said you think could make an argument for number one when you looked back. And you looked at the Army game, the FGCU game, these games where they barely won, were barely competitive against teams that were below 300 in most The committee won't remember that Indiana almost beat Kansas in December. No, but if if you're looking right now after the game, it's encouraging after you were awful yeah. for the first month of the year. I disagree. If I'm, if I'm on that team, I'm not encouraged at all. If you're a fan, you're encouraged by the team actually showing a pulse, which they didn't show up until that point. Okay. They didn't have a pulse. They I were some dead. Fans, maybe some fans think differently. They were dead in the water. At least the and season now that now that they almost beat Kansas, they're they're good. They they have confidence now. I would still think it would drop it even yes, more. If they, if they if they won, they'd be they'd be. Let's move on. I don't. I don't. I'm not going to speak for Indiana fans. They if can. They, they won. Can... They'd be throwing a parade. But their season looked dead in the water because they were barely beating teams it's... that were in the bottom fifty of the country. Okay. And, and then, then since, they since actually, Kansas, they won one game against a team that's in the bottom 50 of the country. And now they're all of a sudden going to go on some hot streak? No, no, no. I, this I is going to hurt Indiana in the long I don't run. Think you're this is going to hurt them in the long run. They're, they're, they're hurt. They, they know that they can't, they can't finish out games against good teams. They'll come and, out and, if, and early in the season, they could barely finish out games against they beat Louisville. awful teams. Awful team. Can't. So Texas A&M though, Texas so Texas A&M, they they basically won too because they only lost by four at Houston. I didn't. I, I mean, look, Texas a and is a good team. Texas A&M, you don't you don't you don't view it from the same perspective if you're a Texas A&M fan because your team, you can have confidence in your team because they've actually shown some signs of life throughout the first ten games of the year, which Indiana didn't. Okay. Houston though, Houston looks good as always. Houston we'll see what good. happens though, when the, the, the Texas game was really their first um, actual matchup, um, and they're eleven to zero. They're blowing out their opponents aside from Houston, but I mean aside from Texas A and M. But like they played Utah on a neutral, and they played Xavier um, in Xavier, and those are their only power conference. Those three games are their only power conference games, um, and they've got two more games until they get into Big Twelve play, and it's going to be a big gauntlet in Big 12 play, but so far they're playing for, again, not playing many teams on their schedule, but they're playing well. Um, that 70 to 66 victory over Texas A&M um, on Saturday 
in the Halal Guys showdown. I didn't even know Halal Guys was going to ever be a title sponsor for anything. <laughs> Literally in Houston, um, which is essentially a home game, but I think it's going to be listed as a neutral, uh, like, officially. I have a question, answer? though. So you said that real quick. I'm going to jump in. So Indiana was 8-3. and three. They're much more disappointed with this season than Texas A&M fans who are 7-4. Texas A&M has had a more much more difficult schedule. I'm just I, but I don't think, think those fans I don't think, are, I don't think you can look at just the just saying, do you think those do you think that the fans feel differently? You're just a, a regular fan. If you're if you're if you're a rational fan that is like in touch with college basketball, you'd understand how much that like the strength of schedule actually matters, how much like 50% of them. Yeah. Okay, so then you just talk about the casual fans that only look at record and then you'll think, "Oh, let me let, let me just pull up a crazy example for you just to see who what teams are better records because if that's all that we care about no i don't it's fine i'm not i'm not I, no, again, i'm not arguing that point i'm just arguing as a fan perspective you're like you feel that much more confident about your team who's seven to four because they played better opponents than maybe than slightly three team maybe slightly survived maybe against slightly. awful teams yes i i feel better about texas a&m than i feel about indiana i'm sorry if that's a cold take we'll see if it has a better record i'll 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 jump in Indiana right now. Wait, no. No, I don't think Indiana. Never mind. Yeah, that. okay. So what, what point are you I trying to I think Indiana will struggle, but. Indiana's going to struggle heavily in the in the <sighs> Big Ten. The coast. You lagged right there, bro. Oh, Froze. Oh, I, I said Indiana's going to struggle heavily in the Big Ten. Heavily? Like, bottom four team? Not bottom four. Not in, No. They're at best. I think their ceiling's five hundred, and I think that's if you hit. You spent a lot of time on Indiana this pod. (laughs) We've spent way too much time on Indiana on this pod. We went from Houston to talking about Indiana to then talking about. I was like, I'm going to talk about Baylor, Michigan State, because that was that was an ass kicking. It was not see coming. Michigan State eighty eight, Baylor sixty four, at Michigan State, and or excuse me, sorry, not at Michigan State. It was in Detroit. So a game that's very close to Michigan State, but uh, a neutral site game. Again, there were so many of these um, that went on across college basketball on Saturday. And, I mean, Baylor just couldn't get anything going on either side. They uh, only they turned the ball over 21 times. They only made um, six three-pointers. They were 6-19. And Michigan State finally is actually shooting the ball a little bit better. They shot 66% from three in the game. Um and I mean, they we, we figured at some point their shooting luck had to turn around. They weren't going to be a sub thirty percent um, three point shooting team all year, but they really showed out. Tyson Walker again, just having great games as he usually does. Um, he's averaging over twenty points per game now on the season. He went for twenty five points, three rebounds, four assists. Um, AJ Hogard also had fourteen points, but nobody else. Um, in the starting lineup, had double-digit points. They just got a lot of contributions uh, out of pretty much everybody. Good all-around win for Michigan State. Back up to 500 finally. Uh, a much-needed one if they wanted to get some momentum going into the rest of their schedule. They have two more bye games until the rest of Big Ten play uh, returns. But they needed this one. Um, not that concerned about Baylor losing this one. Just because Michigan State, I think, is much closer to the top 25 team the top 10 team that we saw then a team that was going to miss the tournament so i think michigan state's going to ride this uh wave much further and i think at least hoping for them that this is going to be the uh beginning of a of a long run that ultimately leads them to march and leads them to a decent seed line you kind of hit it up right in the nail right in the right in the, uh, in the head i think that baylor um isn't a top five team i think they've been playing better at the season than they will be I think that Michigan's been struggling. Michigan State's been struggling. And, you know, this is the team that we thought we were going to see. This is a top five team that they looked like on the court. Um, but we just hadn't seen it yet. So I, I do think that this is a game that can can flip their season heading into the uh, conference play. I think they're going to be, you know, a top three team in that conference. I think this is going to really help them. You know, A.J. Hogard, again, we said it before, a lot of it relies on him. He had a good game, second-leading scorer, but – you know, five assists, three steals, just kind of doing everything that he does. Um, and then for Baylor, I mean, yeah, it was just a struggle to score. Uh, high, leading scores only had, only had 11 points, um, just did not shoot well from the floor. And, 
you know, I think it's just one of those games that barely move on, but Michigan State, it it has a big effect in the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, part of it was that definitely Baylor wasn't shooting the ball that well, but the biggest part, again, the 21 turnovers. Um, Ray J. Dennis had six, probably the worst game that uh, he's had, at least taking care of the ball all year. And then uh, Jaden Nunn also had six turnovers. Those two combined for 12 points. I mean, you're two, um, two or your three lead guards just can never combine for 12 turnovers, and it's going to – it's never going to end well if they ever do that. Um, Baylor's still going to be fine. I, I don't think they're like the this top five, arguably top, like top ten caliber team um, just yet. Like they've had it, they're nine and one. That was their first loss, but we'll see what they do tonight against Duke. But up until now, like they haven't played that much competition. Like Seton Hall, they played Auburn. They played who, Auburn. I guess you love on Auburn could be. I don't love. Right I don't now. love them. Uh, Not you. <laughs> I Oregon State they played who Oregon State is not near a high major caliber program at this point um and they played Florida but like they haven't played any top tier teams yet um they're gonna play Duke on Wednesday we'll see tonight we'll see what they do against Duke but I just want to wait and see a little bit more with Baylor I think that like the record looks very nice and Scott Drew you always trust him they have talented players but will they be a top three top four seed I think that still remains to be seen will kentucky be a top three or four soon i say yes yeah they did they kentucky looked good finds their way back into the top 10 after beating unc in the cbs sports classic in atlanta georgia uh they won that one 87 to 83 and just a great game like i think overall was just high intensity um and again rob dillingham just Again, being fantastic off the bench for Kentucky. He had 17. Reed Shepard had 11. There have been so many contributions from just those two freshmen um, off the bench, night in, night out. DJ Wagner had 14 points, and um, Bradshaw had 12 points. So those were your Kentucky Wildcats in double figures. On the UNC side of things, R.J. Davis continues to have um, a absolutely tremendous career. Uh, and season he had 27 points he has now scored 25 points um or more in the last five games 20 or more points in the last six games i believe that's the longest streak in the country of 20 or more points uh and cormac bryan also had 20 points those were your two tar heels with over 20 points um and it's just it's good to see these two teams be competitive with one another because love or hate blue bloods i think the sport's better when they're in a good place and to see them have a high octane, high scoring matchup that just went super back and forth, especially in the last seven, eight minutes is uh, incredible for the sport. Um, this is another game that I hope maybe we could see again in the tournament and the other half of the CBS sports classic, Ohio state, UCLA, not very impactful, but I'm glad that one of the games was um, impactful. And both these teams, um, obviously Kentucky came out of there with a the win and is playing super well this year. But UNC has also been great this yeah, year. I don't. But think where so. where was Baycott that game? Yeah, he had some foul trouble. But he still had played thirty one minutes, and he took a total of four shots. Yeah, he didn't do that. Much. That can't happen. I don't know what the game plan was. He turned the ball over six times as well. I don't know how Baycott had more turnovers than shot attempts. Uh, the guards were playing great, so I get not having to like feed it inside on him. But it was one of the worst Armando Baycott games that I couldn't remember not the worst i mean yeah so he only had nine points in the game and you know unc lost lost by four so again if i'm unc this is what i how i would feel confident instead of if i was indiana fans because we lost to a great team and our best player did not have his best game at all and it was very competitive um but talking about kentucky yeah you named the the leading scorers but they really got contributions from from all over justin edwards had eight Trey mitchell at eight reeves had nine so they just got a – they had a whole complete effort from their team and, and you know, credit to them. They played great. It was a high-scoring, uh, high-paced game. But if I'm North Carolina, um, I, I'm feeling confident. Um, obviously, last year was a struggle, but this team seems different. Andre Davis, obviously, just seems different without, you know, sharing the backcourt with Love. So um, North Carolina, they look good. They should be, a, you know, legit factor to win the ACC. Yeah, I mean, you you with North Carolina – you have Davis, who's been having, I think, the best year of his career. He could be and should be in the running for um, ACC Player of the Year at this point. Um, Armando Baycott, 
yeah, he could be in a he's could be an All American, maybe close to that National Player of the Year uh, discussion. Although Edie's probably running away with it at the moment. But Baycott, a lot of season he, left. there is a lot of season. But despite Baycott uh, playing awful, he's still averaging a double double this year. Harrison Ingram, the Stanford transfer, has been great, and Cormac Ryan's been pretty good as well. Knockdown um, so, shooter, yeah, knockdown shooter from Notre Dame. Who? Geez. Did you see Notre Dame lost to Holy Cross by I think twenty points yesterday? Yeah, uh, they might be the worst power. Like, they might be worse than Louisville. They might be. It, it, like, they might be the worst power five team that did. That's oof. it's bad, and those are both like teams in the bottom of the ACC. Like the top of the ACC is pretty solid with UNC, Duke, Clemson, and Virginia. But the bottom of it, man, with Louisville, Notre Dame, like you could throw maybe. FSU in there, like Wake hasn't been great. George Tech has been, they're eight and three, but they've took and taken some weird losses. Like the top half is great, but the bottom like yeah, third can be bad, bad, bad. More so than usual. it's, it, I think all the top teams like are, are in a great position, but man, like if, if somehow they were like UNC was to take a loss to one of those teams, um, it, Obviously, I don't think we'll keep. They think they've built up enough where they probably shouldn't lose to them. And even if they do, they're still going to be an at-large team. But if they lose to like one of those teams, like you have to, there's a no-win situation when you're playing those teams because you win and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. But, but if you, you lose, you're probably knocked a full seat. Even, even if it's close, you know, people will raise some eyebrows. Yeah, exactly. So just having two awful teams and a couple of other shaky teams in the conference are not great for the top end of the conference. Um, but UNC, I think, should be competitive with anybody in the conference. Um, and Kentucky, even though the UNC Wilmington loss was kind of scary, I think they still look like um, arguably the best team in the conference. Maybe you can make the argument for Tennessee, but I would lean towards having Kentucky above them right now. Well, speaking of speaking of Clemson, they they took their first loss on the Saturday to to your team, Memphis. Yeah, this game. was another great game. This was like. This was a both a no-win situation for me, but also a win-win situation in the sense that I had both teams as my sleepers. So I guess it's more of the win-win, like whoever wins. I yeah. Can, like, Plus, it was a great game between the two elite teams. Yeah, it was a 79-77 game where Clemson, obviously, uh, was ranked 13th at the time, took their first loss of the year. And Memphis just continues to um, improve their I mean, their schedule, obviously they beat Virginia yesterday. Also, we'll talk about that in a minute. They walloped, um, they walloped Virginia 77 to 54, but against Clemson, they won. And they had uh, David Jones go for 22. He went for over 20 points against Virginia as well. He's been having a fantastic year. Uh, He's averaging over 20 points per game now. Javon Quinterly had 17 points and it was just a good game for Memphis. They we're not tremendous defensively, but they um that's what shot from three terribly. Yeah, they shot terribly from three, but they had eleven offensive rebounds. They forced fifteen turnovers from Clemson. They only turned the ball over six times themselves. So they just got a lot more possessions from the offensive rebounds and from the turnovers. And even though they had one of their worst shooting nights, they hosted, albeit they hosted a great undefeated Clemson team and handed them their first loss on a game where again they shot just four for twenty six from three. Yeah, great back and forth team. Two teams I think are gonna make some noise come March. They kind of just have other components. Um, yeah, but for Clemson, you know, you let a team shoot loss on the road. You you expect to win though. You hold a team. I mean, obviously three three balls become so important in today's basketball landscape, and you know you don't expect you don't see teams beat top fifteen teams when they shoot four for twenty six from three. So that's just I think it's credit to just Memphis where. You know, it wasn't working, but that didn't discourage them. A lot of times teams, they're not making shots. They slip in other aspects. But, um, yeah, just a great entertaining back-and-forth game. And then Memphis comes back and they, they destroy Virginia. They've got some serious momentum. Yeah, and now uh, Memphis is 6-2 and two against Power Conference opponents. And uh, they only have two more non-conference games left against Vanderbilt, who they should destroy, and against Austin PA. And then they go into AAC play. I think they're the strongest team in the AAC, especially since Naquan Tomlin was a midseason transfer. He got kicked off the team um, at Kansas State, transferred to Memphis, and he's going to be, I believe, immediately eligible. 
um, as soon as like Memphis processes his enrollment. I don't know if they've done that yet or not, but it should definitely be in time for conference play, if not in time for this weekend. And when they get him, I mean, this team's going to be even better than they were. And, um, and they have a top five resume in the sport, I think, after destroying Virginia, beating Memphis, beating Texas A&M, beating Michigan. They got Memphis. Oh, yeah, Clem- Clemson. I don't know why I do this every single episode. Oh, man, I that makes sense. It was talking about three both times. Teams. Yeah, against Clemson. Uh, they beat Mem- uh, Michigan. They beat Arkansas. The only, like, stain is losing my 16 against Villanova. Bet that was the third game in three days. Like, things will happen. And uh, they lost by three at Ole Miss. But Ole Miss is undefeated. They're ranked now. Um, I think they're. I think this Memphis team is incredible. And I think that um, they'll give FAU a run for their money, if not outright leap them in the AAC standings by the time the year is done. Shout out Penny Hardaway. Do you want to talk about the Virginia game too, that last night? Yeah, we can. They won 77-54 to 54 on their home court. Like I said, David Jones, incredible, 28 points, was 8-15 of 15 from the field, didn't miss a single free throw. And uh, Caleb Mills was the only other Memphis Tiger in double figures. He had 11. But I think David Jones is the story of not just the game, but really the season for Memphis. Um, he was a solid player at St. John's and at DePaul before he transferred over to Memphis. But he wasn't this 20 points per game guy that you could trust from him to have pretty much every single game. He had 13 points last year uh, at St. John's, 14 points the year before at DePaul. He was a good a good starting player in the Big East, but you didn't expect him to have this jump in his play. And he was an inefficient shooter at times at both those schools. He shot under 40% from the field at uh, St. John's. Didn't shoot over 30% from three in either of those schools. Now he's shooting nearly 40% from three, 46% from the field at Memphis. And he, Penny Hardaway's gotten everything that he could have gotten out of him and more. And I think he might be the most impactful transfer uh, in the country this year. Yeah, and I think Penny Hardaway and that staff deserves a lot of credit. Um, I think they've changed his game to be more efficient. And yeah, I mean, he is, you wouldn't expect to go into the season, but he is, their best player, and he, they will go as far as he carries them. Um, I think he just has all the tools. I mean, you know, 26 this game, he's, you know, over 20 last game against, you know, elite, elite opponents. Um, he shows up. So that's all I got to say about that. I mean, he he's the guy. He's the star. And for Virginia, that's kind of Virginia that I've, I've we've seen the last couple of years that can always pop up when they just cannot score the ball. And it was just – it was complete struggle uh, the whole game, barely breaking 50 points. Um, so Memphis, yes, that's a great win for Memphis, you know, at home. But I think that that's what they should have done. They, that was expected. They should have been in um, this Virginia team. I know they're ranked. Not by this margin. Okay, yeah, yes. So it's impressive. It's impressive how much they won by, which is why I'm giving them their flowers. But um, I think that they're at a different level than this Virginia team, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I agree this, with you. I think that going into this, like – if we were picking games, like I would have no doubt picked Memphis as well. I think Virginia is a, a, a good team, but I think they're, they definitely have their flaws. I think outside of Reese Beekman, who I think is also a little bit overrated, they have not that much surrounding him, especially again, offensively. They, they, they usually have struggled to score the ball. Sometimes that's due to the fact that they just usually play so slowly. This year's no different, but sometimes it's also due to the fact that the offense just in general, isn't that good. And this year's no exception. They're ranked yeah. 147 in offensive paced. efficiency. Very slow paced, too. Yeah. And like the slow pace, I get it works when, especially when you have a good defense sometimes, but it's also why they lost, not not why they lost um, against UMBC, because that game is a blowout, but it keeps bad teams in the game sometimes because when you're, limiting how many possessions are in the game it limits your ability to start pulling away because when there's so few possessions so few opportunities for you to score for even if it's there there are less opportunities for the other team to score there are less opportunities for you to build a 10 12 point lead and it keeps the opponent in the game, in the game. we started with Furman in the tournament last year yes exactly it kept Furman in the, in, in the game and they ended up winning in the last minute yeah so Virginia uh... 
they're still, you know, they're still beat up on the bottom. Of the, like you mentioned, those bottom ACC teams, they'll they'll be, you know, a four or five seed uh, going into the conference uh, tournaments. But yeah, I'm not very high on them. I think they're going to be another you know, first round exit come March. Yeah, and it's, I I think Tony Bennett doesn't get enough flack because he has that national championship, yeah. which to his to his credit, like good for him. He'll always have, you know, he'll he'll always have that national championship. But outside of that, he's had some bad March showings. He's had a couple of years where he hasn't made the tournament, which um, is excusable. But like 2022, they didn't make the tournament. Um, and early on, they only made the tournament one of his first four years. But I'm not even going to hold that against him because Virginia isn't um, like the historically dominant team for like prior to his tenure there that like a lot of the other ACC teams have had or have been. But if you look at aside from that, that March Madness uh, championship in 2019, 2012, he was a 10 seed lost in the first round. I mean, you expect to at that point, um, 2014 as a one seed, he went to the sweet 16, which is fine. You lost to four seed Michigan state, but that's not like, if you're a one seed, you hope to go further than the sweet 16. Um, then 2015, a two seed, he only went to the second round. Uh, he went to the Elite Eight in 2016, which was like good for him. But then in 2017, lost in the second round as a five. 2018 was obviously the UMBC year. And then 2019, he won the national championship. And now he's had two years in the past three years. Two out of the past three years, um, he lost to a 13 seed in the first round. He didn't make the tournament the other year. Um, he's still a, a good coach. That national championship and that Elite Eight are going to go bounds for him. But I don't think he's this like elite coach that a lot of people make him out to be like top 10 in the country. Yeah. But just that one, I mean, imagine a guy like Matt Painter has just has one national championship, all those, his, his story, but exact same. Yeah. That's been great. Um, but again, it is Virginia. I get it. If you mentioned, it's not like a marquee top transfers. They've, they did it. They had a great team in 2019. Um, but I just think he needs a extremely the right pieces that he, that he goes out and finds. And it's just kind of difficult, obviously very difficult when you're not getting the five stars, four stars um, that some of these other schools are getting. So I, I just think that he's he's a great coach for what the talent that he has, but he's just not, yeah, he's not like a top 10 coach in terms of going out, getting the best players. And you know, you win that national championship, you shouldn't not be making the tournaments the next five years. That should be the boost. You know, that should be just an extra boost to make you even more competitive from next coming season so yeah it should be enticing for other transfers and yeah uh, so i don't mind tony bennett i think that he is a good coach but is he a great coach uh yeah i wouldn't say that but he has a he has a championship so he'll get paid like one yes exactly and uh not trying to take anything away from that championship but aside from outside of that there are some he got lucky because of the auburn game that missed Um, call yeah exactly um but he still ended up winning the championship game and i think the story of this game was aside from david jones 18 virginia turnovers memphis just absolutely capitalized on that they had uh 27 points off of those turnovers and they won by 23 points so um i mean that was the difference in the game but also turning the ball over 18 times just cannot happen when when you're virginia especially with how slowly you play there were 69 possessions in this game which is a lot for virginia but not a lot in the grand scheme of things and if you're turning the ball over on over a quarter then um obviously that's not a recipe for success and um virginia definitely needs to take better care um of the ball than they did in this game they've been taking good care of the ball up until that point but who knows what uh will continue when they go into the acc schedule you're trying to skip over your number one team marquette Another. No, I'm not going to skip loss. over them. They lost. They lost. They got blown out they by got, Providence. Yeah. But they didn't just lose. It, that game was competitive at all in the second half. No, it wasn't competitive. I was listening. Um, I was out. So I was listening to most of the first game on the radio. And early on, I hear, okay, like we're going to a commercial break. Marquette's up four. And then I just, uh, like, just go off into my old own world for a second. I'm lost in my own thoughts. And then I hear, like, Providence is up 11. I'm like, what? What? I mean, what just happened? Um, and then it went into halftime and Providence was up by 11 at halftime. And 
then Marquette went out on a 7-0 run to start the half. And I'm like, okay, like it's, this is back into a game when it was supposed to be. And then after that, Providence just put the pedal to the metal, won 72 to 57. Um, and Marquette supposed to be this great offense. Like they were an elite offense last year, brought everybody back um, except for Omax Prosper. And they've had a couple of stinkers offensively now. Again, only 57 points against Marquette, 64. I mean, against Providence, 64 against Wisconsin. Both of those were road games. Providence is a great road environment. But if you want to be an elite offense the way you were last year, you just can't be having this. Shot 32% from the field, 20% from uh, behind the arc, 14 turnovers. Um, just an awful game from anybody outside of Tyler Kolek, who had 21. Um, but also got to give Providence their flowers. A great win. I was a little bit um, curious how they would be doing the rest of the year in Big East play. And they they just showed me today that they are going to be one of the top dogs in the Big East. Yeah, Providence is 40-3 and three in the last 43 home games. I mean, that environment is a very tough place to play. Um, and Marquette came in, they started off, you know, 9-4, 9-4 lead. Kolak was talking a little bit towards the bench. Obviously, you know, he's, he's from Rhode Island, returned home. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just want to – Devin Carter is just extremely impressive. I think he's an all-first-team all Big East guard. He's just that catalyst for that team. He seems to show up in the big games, you know, 22 points, but he shot it well, and he he plays defense. You know, he he he. I think that I saw Kim Kim English was saying how uh, they didn't want him to play a Kolak to start on him guarding him, and he was like, "No, I'm guarding him. Like you're not gonna tell me not to." Then the second half, they switched him over to Cam Jones, and then uh, so every time Kolak scored in the second half, he would be scowling at uh, Kim English, like pointing back on him, but. Providence just haven't really missed a beat since Ed Cooley. I feel like Ed Cooley, you know, leaving has had no effect on this team, at least on the court. Um, and that's just a credit to what they built. You know, they're not an elite team. They're not an elite program. They're not, you know, battling for national championships. But they're a very solid team. They have been for the past, you know, half decade. So they're right on beat. And, uh, you know, they're not going to – I don't think they're going to win the conference. But – you tell me that Marquette or, or Crate are still that level above Providence right now, like we have in the season. I think nah, it's. I don't think so. I think it's hard to say right now. I mean, I would say still probably, but that I mean, I'm, if I say that, there's definitely some preseason bias still built in there. But Providence has shown, like they got blown out by Oklahoma, but aside from that, they've shown that they are. Yeah, I mean, that was early in the season too. That was what the second or third game. No, that was a couple of weeks ago. That was two weeks ago. Two, they got blown out at Oklahoma. But Oklahoma, oh yeah, it was. Yeah, I was thinking of. I was thinking of the first loss. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma is a very good team. Great team. Yeah. They, but they beat Wisconsin by thirteen. They went to overtime against Kansas State. It was Kansas State. That's what I was thinking of. Yes, they went to overtime against Kansas State early on. Um, but they're a good team. Up until this point, I was curious what they could do against teams that were better than that caliber because those were the three. Um, well, them and Georgia were the power conference teams that they played thus far, but they proved a lot against Marquette. Um, I think long-term, I still prefer Marquette over them, but I mean, it's much closer now, obviously, than it was earlier. And I think, I think that, also Providence has the biggest, like obviously teams play better at home, but the difference between them playing at home and on the road is, is very significant. So that is where I think they're going to slip up and lose a couple of road games. Maybe they shouldn't. Yeah, they definitely, I mean, they're definitely a lot better at home than on the road. But, I mean, Kim English in his first year there has done a great job. He brought a lot of his own transfers in, and they've done well. Um, Ticket Gaines has 8.2 points per game, four rebounds per game, which isn't, like, great. But, I mean, he's a rotational guy. He's, like, doing uh, pretty well there. Josh Doro has 13 points per game, shooting 41% from behind the arc. So, a couple of his guys he brought in have made a positive impact and I think Providence is going to be maybe not the team to beat in the big East yet, but they are UConn. establishing themselves. Yeah. UConn should be um, as of this moment, but they're establishing themselves as um, one of those teams to beat in the big East. I think they're uh, firmly inside the top four. And if you wanted to say they were two, or if you wanted to say that they were three, um, I wouldn't have a problem with you saying that. And, um, I wanted to make one more point. You said Devin Carter is a great defender. He has a defensive rating, according to sports reference, of 
which is absolutely incredible. If you don't know what defensive rating is, uh, 100 is average, and uh, every point lower than that is good. It just around 100 is average. It mm -hmm. estimates how many points you give up per 100 possessions on defense, and um, that 85.1 mark is the best out of any Biggies player that's played more than like yeah. 30 minutes all season. He's elite. So. I, I want to make a note a little bit. You said they Notre Dame lost to Holy Cross by 20 at SC, the Citadel. Oh, the was, Citadel. I'm sorry, not Holy Cross. I got my uh, – But, I mean, the point is still saying what a terrible loss. They only scored 45 points. Um, but I also kind of want to mention maybe briefly just Butler. I, I feel like Butler might be a little bit sneaky. And I feel like I've been off the Butler bandwagon since 2011, 2010 when they, you know, made the Final Four. That's the last time they're really irrelevant. I mean, relevant, relevant, but – well, 2020, they were very good, but that tournament got canceled. Yeah, okay. I, I, always, I always try to just forget COVID happened. Yeah. But so. this team, I, I don't know. They're a little sneaky. Again, they didn't shoot well, but they still kind of dominated a Georgetown team. That's, it's Georgetown, but they look better than, you know, a couple years past. So I don't know I what you – I'm, sure, I'm, I'm not sure how much Butler games you watched or how much you know, but I don't know. They're, they're a team that may surprise a couple teams. And, and they might and, be better than what we've seen. Any Big East game is going to be a dogfight also. So, like, uh, winning by 10 against Georgetown, like, is you, you could win by better, but, like, I'm not that concerned about that um, for them. They're scoring the ball a lot more than I would have expected them to. They're scoring about 84 points per game. Pierre Brooks has 16.5 for them. Jamil Telfort has 15.14. Posh Alexander was um, maybe the most notable transfer that they got. 11.1 points per game, 5.4 assists per game. Um, and then DJ Davis has 12 points per game uh, for them as well. So they have four scores in double figures. They can dish the ball out to pretty much anybody and get some points. Um, I do question a little bit about, like, they went to double overtime against a Cal team. That's not great. They ultimately won that by seven, but went to double overtime against that. Butler, they got, uh, uh, Butler got blown out by Michigan State as well at Michigan State. But like we said earlier today, like, Playing at Michigan State is pretty tough. Like Baylor couldn't do it, and Michigan State, I think, again, is much closer to that elite level team than a non-tournament team. Uh, but also at the same time, they had a couple of very nice wins at the ESPN Events Invitational, where they beat um, Butler. Uh, Butler beat Boise State by 14 points. They beat Penn State by double figures, and then they were very competitive against FAU, only lost by five points. And I, I know you don't love these moral victory things, but. Mm -hmm. If you can hang in there against FAU, a team that is top 20 in the country, top 15 um, in the country, like top 20 in most metrics, they can hang in with a lot of teams in the Big East. Maybe not necessarily the top tier Marquette, Creighton, Providence, UConn to the same level, um, to that like same level. But I wouldn't it's be like surprised. It's like a game with two at home against, you know. Exactly. I was about to say, I wouldn't be surprised if they won one or two games against that top tier. Uh, they beat a Texas tech team in overtime also uh, it's it's, I don't necessarily think they're like a lock to be a top half big East team, but they're definitely surprising me. I had them um, ninth in the conference, third to bottom in the conference this year. And I definitely would be surprised if they finished that low this year, I would probably put them in the middle of the pack right now. They could probably be as high as fifth in the conference. Mm -hmm. But I'd probably see them probably like seventh ish right now. But they'd probably be like they. I wouldn't be surprised if they were top five. It's just been a nice start to the season. Um, and then just want to look ahead to, I mean, especially tonight and then next couple of days. Tonight's a great slate. Really great slate. Tonight's, uh, tonight's a great slate. Like we alluded to, Big East play had started yesterday, so you have a couple of uh, the Big East games. You have UConn at Seton Hall um, tonight at seven p.m. on CBS Sports Network. UConn is currently favored by. Eight and a half. They were favored by ten and a half earlier, so the line is moving the Hall's way. But I think UConn probably gets out of there with a win. Relative, I think so too. But we can hope, man. We can show a fandom and hope. Yeah. Last time in the big game, Cino got blown out by Rutgers. That was that was really fun watching. Yeah, that was awful. I'm glad I was not there, like you begged me to. Um, it was my brother's birthday that week. Like so I what? What? I, you said I begged you or asked you? You begged me. I begged you, but you saying you should come. Okay, that's yeah. a funny way of saying I texted you to go to the game. <laughs> um, yeah, you begged me. Baylor plays Duke um, at Madison Square Garden at 7 p.m. Also, um, that game's on ESPN. Duke's favored by two and a half. I think 
like I said earlier, if Baylor wins this game, I'd be willing to uh, hop onto that train. But I think Duke wins this one. I don't know about you. I'm going Baylor. I think Baylor's oh, yeah. going to bounce back. I think they're a little – they come out upset about that that spanking. Um, Duke hasn't looked great. I mean, they still have the talent, but uh, I think that Baylor might jump out to a little bit of early lead and, and hold on. And that's the first game of uh, ESPN triple header. They've been advertising pretty heavily during any ESPN game that you turn on um, this week. Then they have um, North Carolina against Oklahoma in the Jumpman Invitational. That one is at Charlotte, North Carolina. So close to UNC, but another neutral yeah, site game. Neutral game yeah. UNC is favored by three. Well, it's, the Jordan, it's the Jordan Classic, right? Yeah, yeah. They call it the yeah. Jumpman Invitational, but yeah, it, that's why yeah. it's there. Um UNC is favored by three and a half points. Oklahoma could be seeking their first loss in this game. Um, I think it'll be a good one. I do think that Oklahoma does get their first loss, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, first loss. I think it's first loss. Yeah, yeah, I think this is, this is a game I'm most excited about for tonight. Two elite offenses should be a high-scoring game. Um, yeah, I think that UNC will pull it out. Um, that home court, sorry, the home neutral site fans will. Uh, We'll give them the extra boost, but I think it's gonna. I think it might go to overtime. I'm calling my first. Love overtime the overtime. Pick. Love the overtime. Pick. I think it's the first one back. of the year. I think it's the we first one of the year. Yeah, we haven't been doing any picking games, so uh, at least now that That's... we have a chance to do a little bit of okay. talking about them, I like that you're going to overtime. I think it's gonna go. Yeah. Well, you think it's gonna be a close game? You can see it happening. I could see it happening exactly. I'm not. I'm not saying that it won't. Um, well, you just then... don't. Have, you just don't have the courage to to make a bold pick like that. You're right. I don't. I do. The last game of the. Uh, of the night and the last game of the triple header on ESPN uh, is at 11 p.m. between Alabama and Arizona. That one's in Phoenix. So, again, not technically at Arizona, but another one of these, like, close neutral site games. Um, I have no faith in Alabama. I wasn't high in them at all preseason. They haven't been great this year. They're 6-4, and four, although they've had a very tough schedule. Um, Arizona, obviously, we know what they can do. They just took their first loss last weekend, but they're 8-1. and one. They're incredible. I don't see why I would pick any team other than Arizona to win this game. But it's college basketball. But I'm going to – no, I'm picking Arizona still. No, I realize that. But, I mean, whenever you think a team doesn't have a chance, they'll surprise you. I think that Alabama is better than the record. Um, And I think that Arizona may – you know, after playing a team like Purdue, I think they may not maybe get up for the game as much and may come up to a slow start. But I think in the end I'll, I'll play it safe and I'll also pick – Arizona, but let me just check the the line on this game because I feel like it's probably going to be seven and a half. Arizona, seven and a half. I would bet Alabama to cover that. I think it's seven points. Couple other notable. They're going to do a backdoor cover at the end. Hit like a buzzer beater half court shot to lose. (laughs) Couple other notable games on uh, Wednesday. Xavier travels to uh, play against St. John's. In Queens, Carnesecca uh, Arena, um, Northwestern travels to Arizona State, or actually, sorry, to Phoenix to play in the first half of this Hall of Fame series game, the one where Arizona's playing in, um, at Arizona State. Uh, Villanova plays at Creighton, and uh, I believe those are all the notable games on Wednesday. Um, just looking ahead to Thursday now, there's not really much going on. on Kentucky-Louisville, Battle of the State. Yeah, Kentucky-Louisville. If Kentucky wins this one, they'll be back at 500. Maybe they can uh, make some noise. But if Kentucky loses that one, imagine what Cal's going to hear. Oh, wow, yeah. I mean, after being a team like, yeah, that UNC loss, we've forgotten in split second. Yeah, there, is some 11, there was some 11.30 basketball games that started. You wanted to sit down all day in front of your TVs. You got Dartmouth and Sacred Hearts kicking off. Yeah, I think this entire week there have been a lot of earlier games. Um, is there one guess- today? I don't know about today, but yesterday there were a couple. Uh, yeah, today there's today there's a game at one o'clock between Western Illinois and Central Arkansas. Uh, if you have ESPN over there to watch that while you're listening to this, what channel is that on? It's on ESPN Plus. Oh, awesome. Um, then that's we have that's the, not a CBS. Yeah, <laughs> it should be on uh, just national television. Everybody should get that game. Tomorrow's games are awful, man. Yeah, I mean you have Stanford, San Diego State. Um, as another potential, like interesting one, Boise State against Washington State. But aside from that, um, there isn't much. We have the Diamond Head Classic going on at Hawaii in Hawaii. 
um, with Georgia Tech, UMass, Portland, and Hawaii um, in a later season tournament. But um, and TCU Old Dominion is also in that, and uh, Nevada Temple are on the other side of the last the first four teams I said. Um, so a few decent teams in that tournament. Maybe we could get like a Nevada TCU game over the weekend. That would be fun. But aside from that, there aren't uh, many games on Thursday. And uh, Friday also looks uh, similarly bleak. Georgetown at Marquette. If Georgetown yeah. begins 0-2 in uh, conference schedule, I think we're going to have to be ready to call them frauds. At Marquette, you mean? Or jo- Georgetown, uh, Georgetown, you said? Marquette, sorry, if Marquette loses to Georgetown. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're completely out of the tournament, just end their season. Yeah. It's slightly better. I mean, Illinois Missouri, a decently game. Missouri isn't a team like we saw last year. Um, and then got Maryland, UCLA, two teams that you know kind of had high expectations coming to the season who've struggled, but UCLA just lost to Cal State Northridge. Yeah. I mean, listen, Yale, Kansas, respect Yale. I think the Ivy, the Ivy League teams are gonna go in there and I I <laughs> make it a fifteen point game. I want to see a multi-bid Ivy League this year. That would be so it would be so funny. Um, I don't think we will just because it's hard to ever see that from them. Um, but well, like they're the top half it, of the Ivy is competitive with Yale, with Princeton, with Harvard, and with um with like UPenn. It would have to be Princeton. I think if Princeton is, you know, still around a top twenty-five team, I know they have suffered their first loss, but if it's Princeton and then they, you know, kind of win out in that conference, but then they lose the championship. I think, I think yes, that's that's the only chance that the Ivy yeah, has. Think, yeah. But, I mean, listen, if Yale goes in and beats Kansas by, like, 20, then maybe, uh, maybe a little bit different. Yeah. But that's that's a, that's going to be a fun little, like, uh, mid-major conference with Princeton, Yale, Cornell, Harvard, and Penn up top. Um, so it's really it's really tonight, though, where the, you know, elite games are in the next couple, three days. You know, people getting ready for Christmas. They're going to be off, obviously, Christmas Eve, Christmas, the day after. So, yeah. Saturday we games. actually have a few. Saturday we have a few Big East we have games. One, one elite game. One elite game, and then a few decent games. Like Seton Hall plays Xavier at two. Butler plays Providence at uh, noon. Mississippi State plays Rutgers at noon. Um, Villanova plays DePaul at four. Um, and Arizona plays FAU at three. St. John's UConn at eight. So there are a few like high major. The FAU game will be. But the FAU Arizona game is really the only one that like has to be appointment television um, on Saturday. Where's this game? Is it in Arizona? Or is it new? It's in Vegas. It's in Vegas. Yeah. I think FAU's I, would, I, I think Arizona wins that. No, I think FAU's gonna win that. We'll see. I'm. You know me. I'm the world's biggest FAU hater. I think I I'm take that. I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna say the upset. I think FAU's gonna pull off. All right. Double overtime win. We'll see. Time will tell. Double overtime. You're not even going with single overtime now. No, it's gonna be that type of double game. overtime. It's gonna be that type of game. Dude, I would love I would love just for uh on Saturday there to be a double overtime game. Take me away from watching any NFL that day. Cause uh well, if two NFL game actually Bengals Steelers starts at four thirty, so you can get through most of the Arizona FAU game um before that game starts, and that's the first game of the of the day. So And it's only two, right? Yeah, it's Bengals Steelers at four thirty, and then Bills Chargers at eight on on Peacock, man. Wait, I thought Peach. I thought the Peach was playing Christmas Eve. Um, Christmas Eve is Saturday. Is... I mean, it's Sunday rather. I'm talking about Saturday games. And there's and there's also Monday games too, right? Yeah, there's three games on Monday for Christmas. Yeah, Day. this is getting all wacky. And then college football playoffs next weekend. So yeah, it's a good the time. Sports more right? than just college basketball, but um, we're hoping that that game on saturday between arizona and fau is great um and then sunday you'll have the championship round of the diamond head classic that's the only christmas eve events going on um and then wednesday there isn't uh wednesday is the next game next day with game action because people have off christmas day and the day after but there's not much going on on wednesday not much going on next thursday hopefully we'll record before next friday when hopefully, um, yeah. starts to kick up again but we might have to be right on Friday because we're not going to talk about any of these, you know, boring games. Talk about yeah. you, Virginia and Morgan. Yeah, we That's never know. Name, right? who, who is this? Who are they playing? Morgan State. Is it Morgan State? Yes, it's Morgan State. It's, it just says Morgan. On uh, what app are you on? No, it is Morgan State. Yeah. They're on the actual NCAA app, you would think that they would do Morgan State in there. Oh, yeah. No, I'm on the ESPN. Oh, Virginia is cut off. It's literally. 
That's a bad word. Not a bad word. <laughs> I don't think it's a bad that's word. Straight. That's but straight. That's just straight. That's that's what they call. They don't. They can't just finish out the full name. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's weird. Um, you know, maybe because my screen's actually really smaller. Yeah, gotcha. that would make sense. That would make sense. But hopefully, hopefully we can get the pot out before the game's Friday. But hopefully Heaney can. Yeah, he's been working a lot though. I mean, good for him getting that bread. Hopefully, well, hopefully the holiday season maybe he'll have some time. Yeah. Um, but if we don't speak with all of you, have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, whatever you want to, however you want to say yeah. that. Same thing with you, Calgar. Merry Christmas if I don't see you. Thanks, Coach. But uh, that'll do looking, it. Looking forward to it, yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. That'll do it for this episode of Three Point Play. Thank you for listening. Leave a like, leave a review, leave a whatever you want to do. Share it with your friends. Follow our social media. Those are going to be in the description. I'm not even going to say them now. I've been Justin Kosia. Thank you, Jack. And I've been Patrick Calger. Thank you for listening. Take care, everybody. Happy, uh, Happy New Year. Merry Christmas.